Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 350 of your Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is The Silent Majority, an interview with Sarah Terlaga Burquist. My name is Richard Johannesson, but I did not really co-host this episode. This was entirely hosted between Julia Fagelman and her good friend, Sarah Terlaga. One of the things you have come to learn about the Tick Bootcamp podcast is that we're always looking for models for healing. And what we've come to learn recently is that many of the people who have recovered from Lyme disease have moved on with their lives. They don't participate in the Lyme disease community, yet they have a lot to offer to us if we can get them to come back into the community. And Julia Fagelman became good friends with Sarah during the course of the time that they were at Linux St. George. But Sarah and her husband, both of whom treated at Clinic St. George, moved on with their lives. They had a baby, and they're just living the life of people who had recovered from Lyme disease. But Julia was able to bring Sarah back to us, interview her in a very, very powerful way. And we learned a great deal from somebody who has recovered from Lyme disease, but has moved on with her life. Folks, this is a really powerful interview. You're going to be really blessed to listen to this brilliant interview between Julia and Sarah. And without further ado, I am proud to introduce to you a member of the silent majority, Sarah Terlaga Bergquist. All right. Hello, everybody. I'm Julia Fagelman. I'm a special co-host for the Tick Bootcamp podcast today. Um, I was on a previous episode a while ago, and I'm here today with uh, Sarah and Rich. I'm super excited to to talk to you, Sarah. Um, Can you tell us where you're calling in from? Sure. Um, Well, first of all, yes, thank you for having me. It's so nice to see you and to hear your voice and to be here today. I feel honored to be a guest here. Um, I'm calling from Maynard, which is like about 30 minutes west of Boston. So in Massachusetts. Nice. Um, And, you know, just to give uh, the listeners a little bit of background of how we know each other so so that they know, uh, you and I met in 2019 um, at Clinic St. George in Germany, (laughs) where we were receiving hyperthermia treatment, among many other crazy treatments. So that is how we became acquainted. And now here we are, what, four years later, uh, discussing your journey on the podcast. So I'm, I'm super excited to dive into that. Me too. Yes, there's so much to talk about, especially with our hyperthermia treatment in Germany and meeting each other. And so who would have thought four years later, we'd be here now talking about how far we've come. So yeah, I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Well, we're really excited to have you and to get started. um, Tell us a little bit, you know, about your childhood, your background, where you grew up, just your your early years. Yeah, so I grew up north of Boston. Um, I've been in that area my whole life, and I was a pretty competitive figure skater. Um, very uh, before and after school every day. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of competing, a lot of travel, a lot of stress on my body. Um, loved it, loved every minute of it. Um, and then I stopped in college and enjoyed my college years and, um, graduated from university of New Hampshire in 2010, um, and was still always active, always had a very active social life, um, fairly athletic when it comes to like more of the ice skating, gymnastics, dance, like that sort of athleticism, um, and still worked really hard and yeah. And so I'm happy to kind of like bring talk about like my journey with Lyme and how I was diagnosed, if that makes the most sense. 
Um, but after it kind of all happened right after college in 2010, 2011, I woke up one day and my knee was quite literally the size of a basketball. It was so large and inflamed. And I was thinking like, oh, I must've hit it in the middle of the night, or I must've, I don't know. I, I can't, I was thinking like, did I fall down? Like, how did this happen? I could barely walk. And then after a day or two, it wasn't going away. So I ended up going to the emergency room. They test, you know, they did x-rays, they did MRIs, they did blood tests. They had no idea what was wrong with my knees. And so it was mostly my right knee um, and was on crutches. And I, it was really hard to not have any answers, but they said, try an orthopedic surgeon, go to an orthopedist. So that same week I was able to get into an orthopedist and, um, you know, he did a, a couple of different blood tests and he said, you know what, I'm gonna, this is probably not this probably isn't it, but have you ever heard of Lyme disease? I'm going to test you for Lyme. And at that time I had heard of Lyme, but I had no, no really insight into what it was and how you got, I didn't even know Lyme came from a tick at that point. I was so ignorant. And so I said, sure, test me for Lyme, test me for whatever. And so he actually drained the fluid from my knee, tested that fluid. And also he tested me. He gave me a Western blot, which is so rare for a doctor. I think that is not Lyme literate to even think about testing in that way. And so at the time I didn't know what that meant, but, um, was willing to do anything to kind of figure out what was going on. And so it came back positive. And again, I, I feel lucky to say that I had a positive Lyme test, but I think a lot of people, as we all know, go through so many misdiagnoses because they're falsely negative. And, um, I had, I was lucky enough, I guess, to have a positive test. And so right away, I mean, this was in the first week too, right away. He put me on doxycycline for two weeks and, um, he did say, and I guess he had somehow known about Lyme. I don't know if anyone, his background or family had had Lyme, but he knew enough to test me for it. And I remember looking at like Googling that night, a, a little bit more about Lyme and reading that usually, joint inflammation and joint pain was a sign of chronic late, late stage Lyme. So I was kind of confused about that, but still took the medication, took the doxy and on antibiotics for a couple of weeks, nothing changed, nothing happened. So I went back and he said, yeah, you, I, I don't know what else to tell you. You have to find a doctor that really specializes in Lyme. And then thus begins my journey of doctor upon doctor and um, 12 years of trying to battle Lyme disease. And, um, I can keep going. I don't know if you have any questions, but I can keep chatting about this journey if that is helpful. Well, I I have some questions. I mean, that was, that was so much to unpack. Um, so I want to, I want to backtrack a little bit. And so what year did you say that you woke up with the knee? 2011. Um, I will say like a couple months before that, I, and and by the way, I'd never seen a tick, never, no, I was never really that, um, outdoorsy, but I had gone camping a couple months before. That's the only thing I can equate to being around ticks. Um, but as we know, again, you can get a tick walking down the street in Boston. So it doesn't really, it doesn't matter if I was in the woods or not. Um, but I always thought back that, that I had never seen anything. And so I had never inkling into Oh, maybe it's Lyme, but I didn't have to, because I actually had a doctor that thought about it for me, which again, I feel so very fortunate in that way. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, like 
that can be that is so rare for people to get a diagnosis so quickly. So while on the one hand, I'm sure you were disheartened to get a diagnosis that you then Googled and found out was probably something chronic. Uh, but on the other hand, you got the answer a little bit earlier. So maybe you could start taking action a little bit sooner than than some other people. Um, so going back to before before you even woke up with the knee, it sounds like you were really athletic and you were figure skating competitively and traveling and you had a really active social life and you were managing stress stress pretty well and you went to college and um, had a vibrant social life. So at this point, it sounds like you were not affected at all, right? You were- No, I really, I had no other symptoms other than joint pain and then joint swelling. Over time, I think as my journey unfolded with trying to figure out my knees, certainly other symptoms surfaced and came to, came to light. But before that, I- like I maybe was I more tired than usual potentially, but I didn't have those episodes of like falling asleep at 2 PM in the afternoon or something. And I had just graduated college and started my first job and was building my career. So I always felt like, Oh, these are just normal transitional, um, things, but I didn't think, Oh, there's something very wrong with me up until I woke up and my knee was huge. So it sounds like, you know, waking up with the knee was sort of that uh, the straw that broke the camel's back, or maybe something had gone on in your lifestyle or something that woke up the line and yeah. caused this huge flare, um, that you could now visibly see in your knee. Um, and before that kind of became the center center of your attention, what sort of things were you aspiring to? What were your goals in life? What were you excited about? Yeah. Um, I was excited to be in a, a quote unquote, like a real adult. Like I had just graduated college and I was excited about, um, living on my own, or I guess uh, not on my own, but with roommates away from my parents out of my home, my childhood home and, um, starting my adult life and beginning my career in HR and talent acquisition and, um, having new friends in the area too. And it was not like, I, I hadn't really thought too much about, I think, too far ahead at that point, right? Like I was just thinking of being present in the moment. And um, yeah, I was excited to just be, I think, like in my early 20s and enjoying that. Yeah, so it, it sounds like you were excited about this newfound independence and kind of being That's on right. your own, pursuing your your career aspirations, uh, and living with friends. And, uh, you know, as most of us, when we're that young, we're kind of going day by day, we're excited, we're living in the present. So when you woke up with the knee and you started you know, going to these different doctors, how did that affect you in terms of your social life and your career? You know, at what point did that start affecting your personal life and, and yeah. your professional life? Well, I remember going back to work like a couple of days later and I, and my friends were asking me, Oh, what's, what's with the knee. And I just said, Oh, it's just Lyme disease, I guess. And, and thought nothing of it. I didn't even, I had not a clue what was about to unfold. And, um, I just think back to that day and like, so innocent and so naive, I think about what was to come. And, um, I started to notice that it was harder to 
stand for longer periods of time. If I was going even out to the bars with my friends or even, you know, at work, you're sitting down most of the day. I had a computer. Uh, I was on the computer for most of the day. So it was mostly on the weekends where I noticed like, oh my goodness, I standing for long periods of time, my joints would ache. I felt like I was a 90 year old woman living in a 22 year old body. And so that started to really get in the way of being more active, being more social, um, I couldn't really exercise and anytime I would try to do any sort of exercise, whether that was like yoga, Pilates, running, walking, even like any sort of impact or movement would cause my legs to flare. And so it was so frustrating to want to be able to do all these things that a young 20 person is supposed to be doing and being out with their friends and enjoying life. I just, I physically couldn't do them because of my legs, um, anywhere I had Anywhere I went, I had to sit down. I couldn't wear any sort of high heels, no big deal. Um, but I just, yeah, it took away a little bit of that independence I was really wanting. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it was really affecting your ability to, to do activities and sports and walk like like you would want to at that age. Um, so was that was that tough on you emotionally or were you still kind of in the mindset of, oh, it's just Lyme. Like I'm going to be able to take care of this pretty easily. Yeah. I was still in that, um, I think emotional way of just saying like, it's all going to, it's going to be fine. I'm good. Like it wasn't really, I hadn't gotten to that point where it had affected my mental health yet. And, or, you know, my optimism. And I, 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 I was very much a little bit in denial and kind of, um, kept telling myself, I'm all, it's all fine. Like I I'll be good and it will be fine. And, um, I'm not going to be one of those people that suffer with Lyme for years on end. And I mean, how ironic, but I just kept not wanting to think about it because I just wanted to focus on my life and not think of Lyme as part of that, but it, it was getting harder to do as, um, as the line progressed, where I started to have terrible migraines, insomnia, anxiety, and um, the joint pain was just really relentless. And so, but I was still able to kind of live my life. It wasn't debilitating at that point. Um, I had seen from the first doctor, that orthopedic, I, orthopedic doctor, I had seen probably seven to eight other doctors throughout the years. Um, and I was on and off antibiotics for a long, long period of time, oral antibiotics. I had tried um, supplements and herbs and, oh my gosh, bicillin shots and PRP injections and diet changes, you know, the AIP protocols and the keto ketogenic diet before that was like a thing, I think. Um ozone therapy. Like I had tried it all, but through this period of time, I still wasn't, I was still working very hard. And then I had moved into different jobs and I had a career in sales and recruitment. And so I was still very active in my life. It, it hadn't taken over my life at that point. Um, but in 2018, so that was what, seven years of trying to deal with Lyme, but still able to kind of manage but in 2018, like everything came to like a crashing halt and which makes sense that in 2019 is when I was in Germany with you. Um, and I can share that if, you know, whenever you're ready. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just wanted to reflect on that because hearing you <clears throat> speak about how you were kind of trying to keep that positive mindset and stay on top of things and, and keep pushing through and doing everything you were doing because 
at least for me, I know I had the mindset at the time of I'm young, I should be able to keep going. Like this is not right. normal. I'm being slowed down. Like there's something wrong with me. If it means that I can't work out or I can't go do all these things that everybody else can. So, you know, we push through, we push through, we push through until, you know, things hit the fan and then our body's kind of like, Hey, you got to stop pushing because something's going on here. And, and it kind of, things get worse. Um, does that sound like it was, that was your experience too? I mean, that is exactly, exactly what happened. I was pushing and pushing and pushing and my cup was getting fuller and fuller and fuller. And then finally it all, like one little thing was the trigger and everything like spilled out. So, I mean, that's what I've learned the most of all of this is to really take care of myself, take care of my body, take care of my mental health and not to push through because our bodies will tell you when it can't take anymore. Um, I think I'm pretty tough mentally and can handle a lot um, emotionally, but my body is like, nope, we're not doing that anymore. And, um, I'm not going to do that to my body anymore, but I learned in my twenties, like, you're exactly right. If that had, if this had happened maybe in my thirties, thank God it didn't, but, um, maybe I would have been a little bit more gentler on myself and more patient and kind to myself versus like, no, I'm young. I'm going to go out. I'm going to push myself. I'm going to do this. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do all the things, go to all the events, see all my friends and, I think over time I was just wearing myself down and wearing myself down. And I think also I was not very consistent with my medications. I had been on, so I had seen so many different doctors and they wanted me to stay on antibiotics for truly like years at a time. Um, these are oral antibiotics, right? So they're very aggressive on your microbiome and your gut. And at one point I was like, I'm done. I am so done. So anytime I would stop taking antibiotics, my knees would swell. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of just like, I, I didn't want to stay on them forever. So I would kind of go off and to not to the direction of my doctors. Like I kind of did my own thing. I was, I was very much, I thought I knew better and said like, well, if I feel better, I don't need to be on this medication. And then a month later I would flare again. So it was this like very swinging situation up and down of me wanting to get rid of like, not think about it and live my life. And so I'd stop taking all the meds and then I'd have to kind of go back when I would, when I would flare. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it sounds like some new symptoms had appeared in this, in this span of seven years, you were having anxiety and migraines. Um, I think you mentioned, did you mention digestive issues or am I making that? So no, I never had digestion, digestive issues, but I had insomnia. I had Um, it was really like mostly the joint pain, which was the worst. And then it went to both knees. And thankfully I knew it wasn't rheumatoid arthritis because it wasn't traveling to my fingers, my, and I had gotten tested for rheumatoid arthritis, but it wasn't my elbows, but I certainly had infectious disease. Doctors tell me it was things like that, or, um, what are the other ones? Fibromyalgia or all these others that could have been MS. Like I've had so many doctors tell me, oh, it's not Lyme, it's this, even though I had a positive Lyme test. So I can't even imagine if it was negative, all the gaslighting, the additional gaslighting that could have occurred. Um, because it's just, it's one of those things because there's not a clear answer of, of like how to get better from Lyme. I think people just don't want to believe in it. And so even if you have a positive test, people are going to throw all different things at you and say, even right before I went to Germany, I had a doctor say, let me give you a cortisone shot and save you $30,000. And I was like, yeah, that's. And so even with a positive Lyme test, I still hear it. Wow. That's, that's incredible to hear because it's hard enough to get 
an explicitly clear a clear test and we kind of hope that getting that test will provide some clarity and will will give clarity to the doctors who are treating us into what direction to take but then you know hearing your story how you had that positive test and despite that they were still trying to throw other diagnoses at you so i think it goes to show just how you know little knowledge there is on how to approach this condition because it is so multifaceted and it does affect so many different parts of our bodies and there are so many different approaches and it sounds like you were trying different things so you say it said supplements and antibiotics and ozone um and things would kind of get better and worse so what kind of made you decide i need to go to clinic st george how did you know how did you find it what how did that decision come about yeah so in 2018 this is like the day there was a day in july that everything kind of um oh, spilled over like the pot just kept going over and over and so I had a very stressful day at work and my mom had been really, really sick for about almost a year. And it was just emotionally catching up with me. And I think my immune system from all of the emotional stress and the exhaustion, my immune system tanked. And that's when the line like really came out full throttle. And I was completely bedridden for probably eight or nine months. And it felt like I had the worst flu you could ever, ever imagine every single day for those eight months. And it was like, I had gotten hit by a bus and my, my whole body, I could, I could barely move. I was in so much pain. My brain, I remember it felt like I had this like balloon blowing up in my brain. Like I had this pressure that was building and building. I had insomnia to the point where like truly didn't sleep for at, at all. And I think that certainly, I, I felt so sick. I couldn't sleep, which it feels like doesn't make sense, but it was so bad. I just couldn't even close my eyes to sleep. The nausea was so bad. I lost so much weight. I felt like I was whittling away because I could not keep anything down. Um, my whole, my whole body, it felt like was fighting against me. And I felt completely, and I know this sounds like so dramatic, but it truly was exact. Like I'm not exaggerating at all. It felt like torture and I felt completely stuck in my own skin. And I just remember thinking like, how am I ever going to feel better? How am I going to get out of this? And because of like how sick I felt, my mental health was completely tanked. And I was scared. I couldn't even be alone because I felt so sick. I just, every day was every minute felt really hard to get through. And so I had gone on IV antibiotics at that point, um, through a pick line in my arm. And I had tried, I, I mean, I was trying everything. I went on oral antibiotics again. I went like a very, um, full on Lyme treatment for those eight months. And I just almost felt like I was getting worse and worse and worse because, and as you know, too, when you're treating Lyme, the Herx reactions are so strong when the Lyme is, some of it is being killed. Like it can have a, a worsening effect. You feel terror. So it was hard for me to know what was even helping. Um, I just know that I had tried so much and I felt where it was getting worse. And so I had a couple doc I had a couple different doctors in Boston and really wonderful doctors. I was really fortunate and lucky to actually have 
um, doctors that would think outside the box when there was nothing left to do. And two of them said, try Germany. There's a clinic in Germany called Clinic St. George. And they told me all about hyperthermia and how you're, they heat your core body temperature up to a very high degree. And that's when the Lyme, it, it brings the Lyme out of hiding in your cells. And, um, and then you hit it with antibiotics and that's what gets it. And so hearing that I had known about Germany for like maybe a year or two prior, but I didn't feel like I was ready to pull the trigger. But after being so sick in 2018 for seven, eight, nine months, I would have done anything. I would have gone to the moon to get treatment if someone, you know, if that was the case. Um, and I think people underestimate your own survival instincts in that moment. I, I had a lot of people in my life that I don't know if they really agreed with what I was doing or just didn't know about it and thought I was probably a crazy person for going across the country to get or across the world to get treatment. But I always say to people, like, unless you really are fighting for your life, you have no idea the, the, the means that you would take to, to feel better. And so um, I had done a lot of research about Germany. I had talked to many people who had gone. Um, it took me probably another year to end up, or maybe no, another like seven to eight months to actually go. And so I had been preparing for Germany for a very long time. Um, by the time I had gone to Germany, there was a period of time where I started to feel a bit better. I was back to work part-time. Um, I was able to kind of like take walks around my block. Like I was more mobile. So I was certainly like on a path of recovery in some ways, but I was like, I was probably maybe 40% better. So it certainly wasn't a point where I could live my life again. And that's where I was like, I got to go to Germany. If, if this is what's going to get me back to being functional and being human again, full-time human, I will do it. And so that's, yeah, that's, that's where I was when I was, um, in Germany, like, um, physically and mentally. Okay. And, you know, you were saying earlier, like, oh, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. It, it really was that bad. And, you know, I, of course, understand that because I went through the same thing, maybe not mm -hmm. exactly the same with every single symptom, but I've been in that place where you're just trying to get through minute by minute. You're just trying yeah. to get to the next hour. And yeah. it really is such a profound level of suffering that, that nobody really can see from the outside. Because even when I met you in at clinic St. George, you know, neither of us were in a very good place, but if I hadn't known, I would have looked at you and thought, Oh, she looks great. You know, that's <laughs> right. Really optimistic and brave. And, and I'm sure that's how people looked at me as well. So it can be tough to talk about these symptoms and sound like we're exaggerating because to, to the outsider, it may look, well, you know, why are you going to such a great extent to do all these, um, all these treatments that aren't necessarily, uh, you know, verified, but when, when you're in the Lyme body, you're feeling so much distress and it's so extreme, um, that it makes sense to, like you said, go to the moon because all you want in that moment is, to regain some of your life back and to regain some of that, that normalcy. So, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad you bring that to light because I think we try to be really brave and kind of diminish it. And, and we try not to exaggerate about our symptoms or seem crazy, but it really can be very profound and very, very challenging. That's right. So, yeah, absolutely. 
So do you think, so you said that before, after your, you were in bed for those eight, nine months, it sounds like that was a pretty, a pretty dark time, like a, maybe the lowest point in your, in the journey, would you say? Oh, for sure. The lowest point in my life. Um, it, every day was really scary for me. Um, and I think the only way I was able to survive that was the support I had from my mom, my husband, boyfriend at the time. I mean, God, that man is the most wonderful human on the planet for being mm -hmm. able to stick it out with me. I could cry thinking about it. Um. <laughs> And my friends really showed up for me. I mean, they, I really couldn't be alone. I couldn't take care of myself. And so my friends would like sign up for times to come and stay with me and be with me and help take care of me. And it was just like, it, it was the hardest point of my life, but it was like the most meaningful point because the people that really, really, I don't know why I'm crying. I'm sorry. It's just like yeah. being back in that space. Um, the people that really loved me were there for me. Um, and even, you know, Zach, my husband, he, he showed up for me in ways that is hard to even describe, but he also did all this research for me and reached out to people he knew that had Lyme or had gone through some, like he was trying his like hardest to try to help me too. And he connected me with a woman. It was like a friend of a friend of a friend who became kind of my, like lifeline. She had had Lyme a couple of years prior and had gone through a very similar circumstance where she went through like months of being bedridden and came through it years later. And so she was my hope and seeing that someone had, you know, had such a like horrible, um, journey, but then also was able to get their life back. And so I probably talked to her every single day, cried to her, moaned to her. I mean, she helped me through some really tough points where I did not feel like I was going to get out of this. And if it wasn't for her and her, um, like warmth and understanding and love, I don't know what would have happened. So it's like those people in the journey, those people that I met throughout the, throughout this whole span of time, I, they're like angels. Like I truly, they got me through, they got me through all of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, even though, you know, Lyme is obviously, it's such a dark experience, but it's really beautiful to hear how your support system really came out for you. And, and to hear everything that Zach did is, is so beautiful, like that he wasn't, you know, just there, but he was going out of his way to, to do research. And that um, it's so easy, I think, to also fall into all the negativity online about Lyme. So it's, awesome that you had this uh, woman that you could talk to every day and she could kind of be that, that beacon of hope. Cause it's yeah. so important, you know, to hold on to some sort of hope while we're going through this. And, and there are so many stories of recovery that are beautiful, even though those people may have been in the same or even worse situations than we have been. So it sounds like that was a really uh, important, you know, pillar of support for you. Yeah. I remember all I could do was lay in my bed and lay on the couch and, and try to find like research. I remember researching nonstop because again, when you're in that, um, very vulnerable state, you'll do anything. And so I just remember trying to find any research or anyone I could talk to that had gone through this and gotten better. I just wanted some hope. And I didn't even, I didn't, I don't know how long tick boot camp has been around, but like, these are the types of things I would have 
eaten up and listened to every single podcast to have any sort of like just reassurance that this, this isn't the rest of my life. And so, you know, sometimes that can be like when you go down the whole social media loop too, and going into the line like that, that can get dark sometimes too. And so I had to be very careful and mindful about how much time I was spending um, researching and hearing from others. But all I wanted to do was hear stories of other people and, and how they got through this. And my mom too, my mom was always doing like, just like your parents. I think that's something I feel like we connected on in Germany where our parents were such a support to us. My mom was came, my mom lived about a half hour away and she, she came to my side every single day for nine months um, and sat with me and cried with me and held my hand and told me like, we're going to figure this out. We're in this together. Like, I just can't stress enough how important having that support is, especially from your parents and a significant other. And um, yeah, I thank, I thank God every single day for them because I think that that was a huge, huge part of my recovery. Yeah. Well, that, that's really beautiful to hear how your mom really came through and it sounds like she was going through things herself, but you were really just supporting each other through it. And and your friends too. So, um, so at this point you had gotten a little bit better before Germany. That's right. To a point where I could get on a plane. Cause I, during those eight months, there's no way I could have even gotten like packed a suitcase, but I had gotten to a point where I could like, I could function enough to take a trip. And that's when I was like, let's go. Okay. So you kind of, waited till you got to the point where you could pack the suitcase and feel yeah. like you could survive this long journey. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like you had done a good amount of research. You knew what you were, you were getting into. Um, so now kind of walk us through how clinic St. George went for you. Yeah. Well, first I think I met you one of the first, like the second or third day. And, and I'm so happy I did because I felt like you and I connected like pretty quickly And it was just the best experience being able to be around people that know exactly what you're going through and had gone through the same physical struggles, mental struggles, emotional struggles. And it felt like coming home to a group of people that just like are are instant family. Um, Yeah, I could tear up thinking about that. And so those were my fonder memories of of clinic St. George, but certainly like thinking of all of the treatments, the, basically the program that we got for three weeks, it was intimidating, but I had gone through so much at that point. I didn't even bat an eye. I was like, bring it on. And, uh, yeah. And so what else? Zach came with me. Uh, my mom was with me the entire time. And then my husband, Zach came with me like the second week and he also, I hope this is a little controversial, but I want to mention it. He had been tested for Lyme right before we went, because if we were, my doctors had said, if we ever wanted to have children one day, if for whatever reason he had Lyme that we didn't know about, we could potentially pass it on in utero to our future children. And so he and I had to have some serious conversations about what are we going to do if that, if that's the case. And so I obviously knew I had Lyme. I was doing, you know, I went to Germany in order to kill Lyme completely. Like that was my goal, of course, but I was always worried, well, what if Zach has it and we don't know and it's dormant or something. And then, you know, whatever. 
And so he tested for Lyme and it came back positive, like a very slight positive. And he did the test. Um, oh, I forget the name of it, but there's so many testings that sites that we know, but it was a very reputable um, company. And so we said, all right, does it make, I think it makes sense to do the part. They had a partner treatment in Germany. And so he agreed to do the partner treatment and he went through hyperthermia one time. And this is a man who had no symptoms, um, completely healthy and fine, but he did this for our future child who we have now. I can't even talk about without getting, um, emotional, but so we went through it together and it's funny because I had a not easy time. It was like getting hit by a truck. As we remember, it was really hard to go through hyperthermia, but he almost had it worse. His recovery was pretty terrible. I don't know if you remember that, but he struggled for the next couple of days in Germany and then took a flight back by himself. Like he's pretty amazing. So, um, yeah, it was, it was really special to go through it together with him and you and all of the people, and we could support each other and go through all of the crazy treatments. It wasn't just hyperthermia. There was all of these pre-treatments that we did. And, um, I can't even begin to think about all the things, but it was just nice to be able to go through it with somebody. It almost sounds like it maybe brought you two closer because you both went through this really tough experience together and the same treatment, um, you know, for your child. And do you feel that going through such a difficult thing as a family made you even closer? Of course, there's no question. Um, and there's no question that truly like that he would do anything for me and I would do anything for him and, and we would do anything for our children. Um, and so I think I like, from that point, I was like, well, we're getting married. And we did eventually after Germany when I was better and feeling better. And, um, but yeah, I mean, he did that as my, what we weren't even husband and wife at that time. So I, I always knew that he was the one, but mm-hmm. I think for him to kind of go through all of that for me, um, is just pretty incredible. Yeah. I don't know how I am pretty speechless when I think about it. Yeah. I, I honestly am too, because I think it's such a a beautiful thing that, you know, just that you can go through that. And it really, I think that's the utmost level of love and care that someone can show is when they're by you in your darkest and toughest times. Um, And that's when they're even more, you know, loving you and caring for you. So um, yeah, thank you for, for sharing that. Um, And it, it sounds like it was pretty hard on both of you. You know, the hyperthermia is, it does knock you down for a couple of days and you feel very weak afterward. Um, so can you tell us a little bit, if you remember, I know it's been a little while, like what are all the different, uh, treatments that we went through there? Oh gosh, that's a great question. And I should have been more prepared to to talk about that. And maybe you can even help me out, but what did we do? We did the, um, oh my gosh, like the blue light therapy, the, what else did we do? I can't eat. There were so many different things we did. I'm at a Can you remember? Besides um, hyperthermia? I remember doing, we did foot baths and oh we gosh, had, yes. Uh, we had colonics. Oh, yeah. Well, not forget the colonics. Yeah. Massage. Mm-hmm. The lymphatic, uh, the lymphatic massages. 
body massage. We did that uh, electricity machine. I don't even know what that was called. Oh, yeah. It wasn't a Rife machine, but it was something. Yeah. Or <laughs> we basically felt like we were electrocuting ourselves. And basically, yeah, it, like, again, this just goes to prove our point that like, we would have done anything. If someone told us you have to electrocute yourself every day to feel better, I would have done that. I would have done anything to feel better. And so mm-hmm. I was trusting in these doctors that they knew what was the, what was right for us. Yeah. We were kind of like guinea pigs, like, all right, put us in this electrocution chair and do <laughs> do whatever. Oh, we did ozone as well. That's right. Ozone therapy. Yep. Ozone, tons of IV therapies. We, we were always walking around with our IV poles. Oh my gosh. I think we had bruises all up our arms because you and I both didn't get a port. We just had our IVs. And so the right. amount of times we were stuck, I can't. Yeah. I'm surprised we don't have like permanent scars from it. Yeah. Oh yes. I now remember all the bruises. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm probably missing some of the treatments, but it was, it was a lot of, different it was things. a lot. It was a three week treatment. And I think I actually ended up staying one more week, um, for extra, you know, extra something, but yeah, I was there pretty much a month. Okay. So yeah. So it sounds like the treatment was three weeks and then you stayed a little bit before or after. Yeah. I think I needed some time to, before getting on a a flight home to just decompress. And my mom and I, um, we stayed a little bit longer just to make sure I was feeling well enough for the trip home. That is very reasonable because it's a lot to go through in, in three weeks. Um, so, you know, going back to, to Zach and him coming along with you, was there ever a point that you were maybe fearing or worried that you had infected him? Oh yeah. I didn't know where he had to like, he, yes, but he lives in this area too, in new England where ticks are everywhere and he's very outdoorsy. He camps all the time. And I'm under the impression, again, this is probably incredibly controversial, but this is how I personally feel. I'm not going to say this is true. I feel like a ton of us are walking around with Lyme disease. The amount of ticks on this planet is wild. And people are running. When I see people running around in grass, I literally cringe and, you know, barefoot. And like, I really feel that we, a lot of people have Lyme that, that is dormant and people who are really good at taking care of their bodies and who are taking care of their immune systems, they're able to just they don't have symptoms because of their their health and when you have a situation where you know you go through some sort of trauma whether it's physical or mental or emotional and for my case it was my mom being sick it was a stress of work um when your immune system tanks due to trauma that's when everything can come out from hiding and that's when it hit me the worst and so I mean, who knows what would have happened with Zach and maybe he would have been healthy throughout his life and never would have had a symptom in his life. That's, you know, who knows? But I also think like, well, he did that. And so there's no chance now, like he killed whatever that, you know, line that was in his body. And so we're both, we're both good. I like to think that I don't know if that's true, but that's what I say to myself. Well, it's like you said, I think you're exactly right that our immune system can handle a certain viral load. And we're all walking around with some kind of bugs in our body, whether it's Lyme or it's something else. And if you're a healthy person and you're taking care of yourself, you're not going to have symptoms. But when too many things pile up and there's trauma, then those viruses can flourish because we are, we're giving them an environment um, where we are weakened. And so they can kind of take over. So we, we, 
it's very likely, like you said, that a lot of us and then you and me still have viruses in our body. And I think, I think that's normal. Um, but, but certainly the hyperthermia kind of brings it down to a level that then your body can take over and manage it a little better. That's right. Yeah. So, okay. So you guys both go through this and, you know, it's like you said, you know, you were living on the East coast. It could, you could pick up a tick pretty much anywhere. Do you remember having a tick bite? Never saw a tick bite, never saw a tick. Um, Mm -hmm. And again, not super outdoorsy. So I was really shocked to think that, oh, this came from a tick. And yes, I had gone, actually, the only thing I can attribute it to and remember was a couple months prior, I had gone on a whitewater rafting trip in Maine and I had spent, you know, camp the night and gone through a walk in the woods. And that's truly the only time I was really in a wooded area. And so could it have been that time? Sure. But could it have been in my backyard, like gardening? Absolutely. So it's hard to know where it came from. All I know is that my test results came back positive. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, I wanted to ask, you know, about your parents. Do you think, because it sounds like you didn't, you don't remember a tick bite, you know, you might've gotten bit and just never noticed it. Do you think there's a possibility that you were born with it and that it was transmitted from your mom and dad? Wow. That's interesting to think about. Um, could that be a possibility potentially, but because, you know, during my childhood, I was so active and so, um, I hate saying like I was so athletic, but I was so physically active with ice skating and, um, I just, there was no symptoms to be had. And I certainly like I've gone through ups and downs in school too, in terms of different traumas I had. And I had mono at one point. So my immune system had definitely tanked on and off throughout my childhood. So I don't, I don't think so. Um, I think it really did come later and then whatever obviously triggered it did. Um, but because I was, I felt so healthy and so active throughout my childhood, no weird symptoms like that. I don't think so. I think there was a point in time where I was bit by a tick in my early twenties. And then eventually the symptoms came to fruition. Okay. Gotcha. So you believe that it, you know, you were so vibrant and healthy at a young age that it's more probable that it was a tick bite. Um, and I'll also just say like, you know, the, the nymph ticks, the baby ticks can be so tiny that they're very hard to spot. So, oh gosh, it could have been on the back of my head. Like who, you know, they can be behind your ears. They can be in places in your body that you can't see. So there's no question that I probably was bit that I just didn't see the tick. They're so tiny. It's like a pinpoint. So, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm sure that was the case. Gotcha. So all right. So let's see, where were we in the story? So we were, <laughs> we went to clinic St. George. That's right. And you went through the three week journey. Your mom was there. Your then boyfriend was there. Um, so what kind of now you got home and what sort of rehab were you doing once you got home? How did you continue your healing? What was that period yeah. like after you got back? Yeah. So over the next couple of months, you know, St. George had given us kind of a a protocol of different supplements and things to do. Um, so I took lots and lots of supplements for many months. I did infrared saunas. Um, 
I was not on antibiotics. And then slowly, 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 I got better and better. The one thing I will say that has never changed, unfortunately, to this day is or are my knees. I still have swollen joints. And so about a month ago, um, I started to take biologic injections. So like a, a Humira. Um, and I remember the doctor at clinic St. George. Um, oh my God, this is terrible. How do I not remember his doctor? Um, he recently passed away. I should know this. Do you remember? Oh, the, you mean the founder? The founder. Oh, I should know. Oh my gosh, this is terrible that I don't know his name off the top of my head. Um, um but I well, remember. Yeah. I, I spoke to him. I was able to meet him at one point. I remember our kind of offboarding was to be able to meet with him right before we left about our, our treatment and our diagnosis and what's to come next. And so, um, he had said to me, if your knees are not better from this treatment, your next step is in like, uh, biologics. Mm -hmm. And because I had tried literally everything else in terms of PRP injections and, um, you know, by shot, like I had tried so many things specifically for my knees. He was like, if this isn't going to change it at this point, this isn't Lyme, this is our active Lyme. This is damage from Lyme disease, which I do believe, unfortunately, that it's permanent damage that has been done to my joints. And for whatever reason, they still get inflamed. And so I have just started truly like about a month ago, biologic injection. So obviously there was a four-year gap where I didn't do anything. And during that time, I was very nervous to start on any other treatment because I wanted to get pregnant. My husband and I, we got married, we bought a house, we moved and we wanted to get pregnant. And I was being, <laughs> um, I was being really careful about putting anything in my body that um, could have potentially affect my baby. And so I didn't want to be on anything. And so I went cold Turkey from all everything I was doing in terms of, um, medications. And I just really tried to treat myself from a holistic standpoint of just going easy in terms of extra, <clears throat> excuse me, exercise and just walking and yoga and eating right. And, and doing all the things I was doing before, but just trying to take a step back from like pushing, pushing, pushing on how to get better and how to get my knees better. I was just like, let's just take a back seat for a minute and just chill. Um, and I dealt, yes. Did I deal with my knees blowing up? Yes. Was I still able to kind of live my life and work? Yes. And so, um, now I'm at a point I've had my baby, um, you know, I'm doing really well at work. I work for a wonderful company and, we have our house and I'm like, okay, now I'm back at a point where I really want to focus again on, on myself, on my body again. And I think after Germany too, I don't know if a lot of people feel this way. And in just after dealing with Lyme, I just, I needed time to not think about health for a, a while. I was, as you know, I'm sure sometimes it can feel like it's an obsession where you're just like, how do I get better and better and better? And it was, it was so exhausting mentally and emotionally for me to think of like, how am I, what's, what's going to do next? What's my next protocol? What's that? And I just needed to take a step back completely from it all and just be present with my family and my life and just forget about Lyme for a while. Um, and that actually did me well. And 
did I still have symptoms? Yes. But was I able to cope and feel okay? Yes to that too. Yeah. I I love that because I think we, it really can become an obsession where we feel like we constantly have to be working towards healing and getting better and taking supplements and being on a protocol. And sometimes it's nice to kind of let that go and just be a person and not be a line person, you know? That's right. And it sounds like that kind of helped you a little bit in that period to put that aside. You got married and you, you know, it sounds like you had a healthy pregnancy and tell us a little bit about, you know, getting married and and having your baby. Yeah, it was, oh my gosh. So wonderful. Like I, I, when all of these things had happened in my life, like I didn't take any, any second for granted because I always remembered where I was in 2018 in that bed where I thought, how can I, how will I ever get to a point where I can feel well again? I I would fantasize about doing very simple things like doing the dishes, making dinner with my husband, uh, taking a walk, um, just like meeting a friend for a drink, like little things like that I would fantasize about. And to think like, wow, I was from at that point in my life, the lowest of the lows. And now in four years, I've been able to finally flourish and feel healthy and to get married and to be able to do all these things. I feel so lucky and so privileged. And um, I, yeah, I, I think it means so much more to me because of what I had to do to get here. Yeah. I think going through this definitely sort of gives us such a great appreciation for just enjoying normal parts of life. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And really, really soak them in and appreciate them. And it, yeah, like you said, you put it beautifully. I have, I'm just, you know, repeating what you said, but I, <clears throat> I find that to be very true. And, um, so did you, did you think ever to, to test your baby or was that not something that crossed your mind? I definitely thought about it. And I definitely thought to test myself too. Um, after Germany, I went back and forth, back and forth of, do I test, do I test at all? Like, do I want to see those numbers or, or whatever, not numbers, but whatever it is, those results. And for a long time, I did not want to, because I was feeling good. And I wanted to go off of what my body was telling me, not what the results were telling me. And a lot of people also say like, it's, you know, for whatever this means, like, it's still going to show up on your test. Like it's still, and I didn't want that to mess with my head. Um, and so I wanted to just, I, I didn't want results to dictate how I was going to feel and, and how I was going to move forward in my life. So I did end up testing right before I got pregnant and I would tested negative and I was so happy. I had celebrated. And I just remember thinking like, thank God. And it all, and I, I just like want to shout this from the rooftops that like, you can overcome Lyme. This is not a life sentence. This is something that people get over. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm like getting emotional again, because that's all I wanted to know during that time. I was so sick. Like I had just never heard from anyone. And it was always like, oh, well, yeah, I still have symptoms, but like, you know, I still deal with it, but it's just part of my life now. And I just, I hated that. I wanted to know if I wanted to hear from people. Yes, I, I am Lyme free now. Like I don't have Lyme and I can say that. And 
I feel really happy to say that. And I want to tell everyone that that feels like there's no hope. Um, <laughs> sorry. No, and, don't apologize. Yeah. Sorry. Continue. No, no. I was just going to say, I didn't test Rosie, my daughter. Um, I don't want to test Rosie because I just don't, I, I want to, I want to live my life not scared of Lyme. And I think I just don't, yeah, whatever those results might say, I think that could impact my um, future with her. And I just, I'm not ready. Would I do that later if she had some things that were like made me nervous? Of course, like she is my main priority and I always want to make sure she's healthy. But as of right now, there's nothing that would make me feel like I should test her. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you're not letting the, the numbers and the lab tests and the, the diagnosis kind of control you anymore. And you're, you're listening to your intuition. Um, and it's so amazing and wonderful to like, see how you are now and, you know, see the, the joy that you're having and your beautiful family, because knowing everything you went through and how it all started and, it's, you know, now you are going to be that beacon of hope for someone that's going, that's in the thick of it right now. And so, you know, just really appreciate you just sharing all that and, and being that guiding light for somebody. Um, because, you know, you being able to persevere and get to where you are now and have this beautiful life is, is going to help somebody else. Um, and certainly helps me (laughs) too. So, Um, And I think like there are so many people out there. I do believe that there are a lot of people like me who have overcome it and have gotten better and do feel healthy, but they're, they've moved on with their life. They, it's almost like it's too hard to look back at the trauma. So they don't want to share their story because they've moved on with their life. And I think that's what I was struggling to, to hear. So are struggling to find those people when I was sick because, um, they didn't want to get like roped back into, to that trauma. And so now going like being in their shoes, I completely understand. It's really hard for me sometimes to be an advocate because I can't, I don't almost like, I can't even look at it. Sometimes it's too painful. It's too hard. And, um, I think even having this conversation today, I'm sure poor Matt and and Rich, who is like trying to get me to fill out like the questionnaire and send pictures. And I'm sure I was the most frustrating guest because I had a really hard time preparing for this because it is traumatic. It still sticks with me. And it's, but I think like this conversation is certainly part of my healing. Um, But it is really hard sometimes to look back at those days and to think about my life with Lyme and Um, I just want to remember, or I I just want to like, I want to make sure that even though I'm nervous, like it's hard to look back and to talk about these things. I think it's so important to give those people, like I said, who are in that, um, in that time period of their life hope. And so, yes, it's hard for me and other people to look back, but like, that shouldn't, that shouldn't, um, get in the way of being able to speak about what happened. Yeah. And I I completely understand that because, you know, talking about it and thinking about those memories, we do, 
in a sense, dip our toes back into that pain. We're, we are reliving it a little bit and that takes a lot of courage and, and bravery and it is a little bit painful. So, um, you know, just really thankful to you for, for doing that, even though it's really hard, because like you said, it's, um, you're much more motivated to go online and interact when you're not in a good place and you're looking for answers. But then once you're on the other side of it and you've recovered and you're living your life, you don't want to go back there. You don't want to think about those things. And so we, I think that's why maybe there's less, um, visibility of the success stories and the happiness people have afterward, because they've just gone on and continued living their happy lives. They don't have a need to go back and talk about Lyme um, because it can be really difficult. So um, yeah, thanks. Thanks for shedding light on that. Um, And it sounds like, you know, by being on this podcast, you are being an advocate for Lyme and you're going to help hundreds of people who hear your story. Um, And then they they might tell your story to somebody else. So, um, so thank you for that. And um, you know, so I guess my last question is if someone that you loved or someone you knew were to get a tick bite, what would be your advice to them now? Oh boy. Um, and this is probably different for everyone because I think people have many different views of how to treat Lyme, of course, as we know, but for me, I think detect like early detection is the best Um, that's the best situation that you want to be in if you, if you have to deal with Lyme. And so my advice one is to test the tick and, and see what's going on. And there are certain labs that you can, um, send a tick to, to see if there are actual diseases that this tick is carrying, especially co-infections and, oh, it's terrible. So first test the tick. And second, again, I, I think not everyone's going to agree with this, but I would be on antibiotics immediately, um, oral antibiotics, like a high dose for not just a week, but probably a month, regardless of what any test said to me. Um, because I think if you, if you catch it early, antibiotics do work. It's really when it's late stage or however many months later that they're already in height, they're already in your body. They're already in hiding. And that's when the antibiotics can't really find it. So I think um, I've heard plenty of stories where people find a tick and then immediately have symptoms and then antibiotics works. Um, And so it's, I think it's actually a good thing when you find the tick, because then, you know, you can catch it quickly. It's when you don't see a tick and you start having these weird symptoms and and feelings. That's when, you know, I, I could be in trouble. Yeah. I think that that's wise advice, you know, kind of handle it as soon as you can. As soon as you see it, test it, antibiotics, you know, reduce that chance of it becoming blowing up into a chronic, chronic issue. Yeah. So folks, it it is, uh, I know it's going to be hard for all of our listeners to believe that I didn't ask a single question on this podcast as a, (laughs) as a big mouth New Yorker who many people have wanted to say, Rich, why don't you shut up? They, they will now have a podcast where they can listen to other than me thanking our guests for being so brilliant and my co-host for being so brilliant. Uh, I didn't get to ask a question. And I, I just want the two of you know, this is one of my favorite podcasts ever. You, the, the story that you two told were, was unbelievably beautiful. And, uh, and, and I didn't ask a single question simply because your flow was so beautiful and the story was so beautiful and you made me cry and you make, I'm going to start crying again. It was just so beautiful, this story. And I, I can't thank you, Julia, uh, enough for being a co-host and inviting this beautiful woman on to be, you know, this brilliant guest. 
and uh, and uh, and and I thank you for Sarah for coming back from you know from uh, the world uh, where you were not thinking of Lyme and being willing to um, you know go through the pain again and fill out our questionnaire and and ultimately uh, you know despite frustrating Matt because he kept trying to track you down and get you to get you to do this we do understand that there are so many people who have recovered and have moved on with their lives and they don't want to you know they don't want to come back to this but. For you to do this uh, was just unbelievably kind. So, you know, from the bottom of our hearts, I, I thank both of you, but in particular you, Sarah, for, you know, for sharing this beautiful story with us. Thank you so much. Oh, of course. No, thank you. It is, it's just as healing for me to, to talk about it, actually, and especially to talk about it with people that completely understand in a, in a way that most people don't and can relate and can empathize. And even just as I'm talking and I know our, our guests can't see this, but just the shaking of the head, like, I, I feel like there's a true understanding in both of you and it's just validating and it feels really good um, to talk about it with people that get it because not everyone does. So thank you. Thank you for listening to your tick bootcamp interview with our guest, Sarah Terlaga Burnquist. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Sarah Terlaga Burnquist, please visit our Instagram page at Sarah Terlaga. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of your Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends on social media. Third, we here at Tick Bootcamp have created a Tick by Blueprint. It has been inspired by the information that's been shared with us by past podcast guests. We are to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com forward slash bite to view the blueprint. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of this Tick Bootcamp podcast. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on the podcast platform of your choice. And finally, if you'd like to search our podcast library of 350 episodes, subscribe to our email list or share feedback please visit our website at sickbootcamp.com. Thank you, as always, for listening.